You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Our executive director, Kyle Matthews, is organizing a series of interviews to support the AI and COVID disinformation initiative by the OSCE Office for the Representative of Freedom of the Media. Hello, my name is Kyle Matthews. I'm the executive director of the Montreal Institute for Genocide and and Human Rights Studies. We're very pleased to have you on today uh, to talk about an important uh, issue. Um, The issue is of uh, COVID disinformation and the link between artificial intelligence and freedom of expression. So as part of our project supported by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, in particular by the Office of the Representative on Freedom of the Media. Um, my colleagues and I are, are organizing a series of interviews called AI and COVID-19 Disinformation Initiative to look at different experts from across OSCE member states about what is going on. And we're really lucky today to have with us, we have Linda Slapakova. Uh, Linda um, is a, is a uh, a bright mind in Europe. She's analysis at the RAND at RAND Europe. Uh, Linda, very pleased to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Linda, to start with, can you tell us a bit about your work? What are you focusing on in your work related to disinformation? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, just to introduce my background a little bit, um, I'm an analyst in the defense and security team at RAND Europe. And uh, we work across a lot of different kind of issues related to security defense and disinformation is certainly one of them as part of kind of a broader portfolio looking at emerging security threats and emerging um, information threats. Uh, So there's a couple of recent projects that I've been working on kind of related to disinformation. Uh, The one uh, kind of fairly recent one was just looking at the use of machine learning uh, to counter uh, disinformation and to detect pieces of malign information on social media. Um, the more recent project that we're now doing with the UK uh, Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office is focusing on, on the broader context of human rights in the digital age. So uh, touching up on the inter kind of the linkages between disinformation, misinformation, and then also, you know, hateful crime, uh, but also um, freedom of expression and privacy and data protections and how you protect these rights kind of in a more, more holistic way in the digital age. Um, And then the final um, kind of um, project that I'll mention is just looking at the impact of emerging technologies on security defense and, you know, how institutions, including governments, but also the private sector and civil society can utilize uh, emerging technologies in a better way to counter uh, these different threats. Linda, you're the perfect person to speak to. You're touching all the issues that I want to talk about. So maybe to start with, um, since we've had this COVID pandemic, have you seen any changes in disinformation online? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing that I'll mention is that this is just, I, I'm just speaking kind of in my, from my own opinion and what I've observed in other research, we haven't actually conducted any um, any research on the COVID-19 uh, disinformation in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly been kind of changes in the narratives um, that disinformation um, is kind of being spread through on, on social media and, and through different kind of, hybrid media as well. Uh, so I think um, there's there's really good research uh, that the EU is publishing uh, through its initiatives on uh, kind of how how the narratives of disinformation have moved through focusing on, you know, the outbreak of the virus in China to then in 
through a more kind of globalized focus on the responses of different institutions to the outbreak and to the pandemic itself. And then becoming again more localized and intersecting with kind of different socio-cultural and socioeconomic issues in different regions. So I think it, it, it's been really interesting to observe kind of how the narratives that kind of disinformation is, um, is, is touching on are moving in line with narratives around the pandemic itself. Uh, so there you can see kind of these different linkages and how, how narratives of disinformation are evolving. Um, I think there's also, there's also certainly been kind of changes in the tactics. Um, and those kind of mature and evolve, um, with the objectives of different actors for, you know, pursuing, uh, disinformation. Uh, but I think that the evidence base there is probably a little less robust. So I, I wouldn't be able to kind of share, uh, specific insights, but we know that disinformation is certainly kind of focused more on, um, more kind of fostering polarization in different communities and, you know, touching again into different local issues and then kind of incentivizing more polarized discourse. Uh, so, so there's, there's certainly been, um, some of that. Um, I think gradually you'll also see kind of changes in the impact of the disinformation. Uh, but again, I think more broadly, the evidence base around the impact of dis disinformation is a little less robust than, for example, how we know that narratives of dis disinformation evolve. So we still don't know, for example, beyond kind of the impact of disinformation just by being spread and by reaching different communities and, and being spread kind of very widely through social media, what is the impact of disinformation on behavior? So, I mean, in, in the COVID-19 pandemic, you've seen, you know, disinformation kind of incentivizing different kinds of behavior and potentially, you know, also um, providing kind of a threat to human health, which is a, a really kind of unique instance where you're being able to kind of observe those impacts of disinformation. But again, kind of the more broader impacts on, for example, uh, you know, how this might undermine trust in institutions um, that we're still not sure about. And I think that's going to take some time for researchers to figure out. So Linda, so we're in this debate where people say AI causes information, but you can also use AI to counter uh, disinformation. Um, based on your work, do, do you, how do you see the, the intersection of AI in the disinformation field? Is it, is it polarizing? Can it be used in a more efficient manner? I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a really bright issue to unpack. And certainly, I think, you know, when you say that it's it's a bit of a polarizing topic, you know, certainly we have to recognize that AI um, and any kind of emerging technology is a little bit of a double edged sword when it comes to, you know, emerging information threats, for example, so and human rights in general, right? So you can you should recognize that AI and emerging technologies provide certain types of threats for human rights. And they certainly can kind of challenge the safeguards that um, that governments kind of provide for human rights online. And you can see that in the case of AI and disinformation, uh, definitely. So we know that AI uh, can, you know, create more potent information threats, for example, through uh, deep fake technology. I think that's a, that's a frequently cited example, but just, you know, by nature of creating imagery or even text, synthetic text, that is more difficult to recognize, that is just more authentic and thus, you know, is, is a bit more threatening as an information threat than uh, the non-synthetic um, text would be. Um, you you can also kind of um, see more threats emerging just through kind of the democratization of emerging technologies. So, you know, by, um, by kind of lowering the barriers for different types of actors to create more potent disinformation threats. And certainly with AI, you know, you can also imagine that um, disinformation would be able to kind of spread more 
rapidly or reach more communities, just as it, you know, empowers different types of actors. So I think that's that's kind of on the side of how AI might, you know, um, augment disinformation efforts or create entirely new forms of disinformation that we have to be cognizant of. But as I said, you know, for each of, uh, on this side of the story, you have to kind of also consider the other side and look at, you know, how artificial intelligence and different techniques such as machine learning can then be used to counter disinformation, which in our research, what we've observed or what we've kind of concluded is it's, it's almost a necessity, right? So disinformation and also misinformation, you know, whether it's being spread kind of intent intentionally or not intentionally, it's spreading at such a scale that you have to almost consider you know, automation and, the, and these kinds of emerging technologies such as AI or machine learning uh, to augment kind of human fact-checking or the work of, you know, different, well, human organizations uh, to detect pieces of malign uh, information on social media because the scale is just, you know, so big. And also, you know, if you, if you look at kind of the issue of AI creating more realistic images or more authentic images, it becomes more difficult for human fact checkers to look at this information and actually, you know, recognize whether it is authentic or synthetic text or, or images. Uh, so I think, you know, by design, it's almost a necessity to consider, you know, the, the potential use of AI and machine learning and, and these different emerging technologies um, in this space. Um, and, and there's certainly kind of different options for doing that. And we've been looking at, you know, de developing kind of or identifying different best practices um, in this case. Um, obviously, by design of or by nature of being an emerging technology, artificial intelligence can best um, assess with kind of the technical responses to artificial intelligence. So detection being, you know, the, the most kind of primary example. So, you know, we know that you can you can use different artificial intelligence techniques, such as machine learning, such as deep learning, uh, to detect um, disinformation better. And there's different methods kind of in that spectrum of responses as well, which I, I'm, I won't go into um, detail about. Um, but in practice, you know, that's already been starting um, kind of platforms as well as governments have started to implement that. Um, and um, that ranges from, you know, for example, Facebook is a good example. Facebook has mainly relied uh, still on kind of human fact-checking organizations. And I think um, Facebook partners with about 60 organizations to detect disinformation. But you have human fact-checkers kind of identifying disinformation. And then you have an AI model kind of take over the process and identify similar pieces of disinformation by which, you know, then automatically you can kind of detect disinformation faster. Um, and, and also better by just detecting kind of similar uh, similar pieces of disinformation on social media. Um, so I think you know again you've already you already kind of start seeing in practice that artificial intelligence and machine learning are incredibly strong tools and potent tools to be used in this context. Um, but um, obviously, kind of it, the story has to go beyond just detection because we know. Uh, we know that technical responses to disinformation are just not really enough, right? So you want to look at the broader context of responses to disinformation and how this can inform broader resilience building approaches. So not just kind of from this perspective of strengthening the resilience of institutions to be able to detect disinformation or counter disinformation, but also resilience of uh, civil society uh, to kind of being able to recognize pieces of disinformation, for example, through media literacy programs. And um, I'm happy to go into a bit more detail about that.
Well, well I, Linda, I think you, you touched upon it. You, you talked about the positive side of AI, but some of the negative side, um, you know, deep fakes. And, and you also, you know, I think right friendly said there's so much data online that we need AI to deal with this. I'm wondering if you could maybe get in a little bit more detail and, and, and help us understand that encountering disinformation online, what priority should be given to protecting freedom of expression as a fundamental human right? Because we're seeing sometimes people taking offline, AI doesn't understand uh, someone's joke, or how important is the issue of freedom um, of expression as a fundamental human right in the online space? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's ultimately when you consider the issue of disinformation and the issue of protecting freedom of expression, it's almost two sides of the same coin, right? And it's kind of the same story when you when you look at what are you actually trying to achieve by countering disinformation? You're trying to protect us, human rights. You're trying to protect democratic freedoms. You're trying to foster, you know, stronger democratic institutions and actually, you know, foster legitimate uh, forms of discourse. So I think by design, you have to you have to consider the issue of freedom of expression when you're considering different responses to disinformation. And I think there's there, there's certainly, you know, responses out there that have been doing that already. And, um, you know, there's there's governance mechanisms and, um, and different forms of regulation that are just approaching the issue of countering disinformation automatically kind of from the perspective of you have to ensure uh, sufficient safeguards from, for uh, freedom of expression online. And, um, you know, you can look at these issues also from the perspective of, you know, direct impacts of disinformation. So we know that, um, you know, for example, traditional cybersecurity threats kind of focus mainly on big actors or, you know, government actors, but also increasingly you're seeing cyber attacks on journalists or cyber attacks on civil society organizations. So and that can take the form of, you know, targeted disinformation campaigns as well. Um, so the, those are the kind of direct impacts of uh, disinformation, of freedom of expression that you can, you know, address. And, and again, that shows you kind of how, how big of a priority that should really be. But then there's also, um, of course, kind of the more indirect impacts. That you, and you mentioned a good example of that just by, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning models not really being able to detect, uh, you know, legitimate forms of speech too well. And certainly one of the kind of best practices or priorities for future research that we've identified is just improving the ability of AI models to recognize contextual nuance and being able to, you know, match the potency of artificial intelligence models with human understanding of context. And so, you know, that, that that's one way where, or that's one aspect where artificial intelligence models have to kind of evolve and they have to mature in that way. Um, but, um, you can then also kind of um, focus on improving, for example, um, the capacities of journalists to use, um, you know, machine learning models to fact check their information and empowering kind of legitimate forms of expression and, and legitimate forms of discourse in that way. So my last question to you, Linda, is um, you talked a bit about best practices that you were studying, but but what is the role for governments in this in order to deal with disinformation but safeguard freedom of expression are there certain things that government should be doing is it regulate regulating uh, tech companies is it doing public audits of algorithms what do you think are some of the essential things government should be doing yeah absolutely i mean of course governments have a really major role in all of this right and it just depends on which aspect of responses you're looking at so i think um, again, using kind of the differentiation between when you look at a supply side of information, so that, you know, that concerns both 
you know, journalists and like how journalists produce content, but also platforms that you mentioned. So I think, you know, in that aspect, governments have, you know, a, a really important role to regulate in different ways, right? So that doesn't have to be only kind of the hard type of regulation, uh, but also softer regulation approaches of so strengthening cooperation with platforms and actually identifying, you know, how how platforms can kind of shape their codes of conduct or, or different standard setting behavior um, in a way that then protects um, freedom of expression and, and different human rights as well. So I think there's certainly a role for governments in kind of guiding the behavior of platforms um, in that way. And then also, as I mentioned, kind of strengthening the capacity of journalists and, um, and you know, different stakeholders to actually kind of safeguard their freedom of expression while at the same time countering uh, the spread of disinformation. Uh, but then looking at kind of the demand side of, um, of information or of the information environment, you're looking at, you know, the role of civil society and that ranges from individual end users to civil society organizations. And there, again, you know, government has almost a responsibility to strengthen the resilience of uh, the demand side of the information environment through, um, you know, improving the capacity of end users or civil society organizations to navigate uh, different forms of information and, um, and counter disinformation, including through media literacy programs or digital literacy programs. Uh, but again, um, also, you know, strengthening the, the uh, technical capacities of civil society organizations or human rights um, human rights organizations. So Linda, I want to really thank you for sharing uh, your expertise. You, you touch upon so many deep issues that governments and NGOs and international organizations are struggling with. Um, Linda from the RAND Europe, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much.